passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock here alongside waiting moments after Dynamite concluded at the Blue Cross Arena in Rochester, New York. How are you tonight, Way? Doing okay, John. How are you? Um, you know, it's a... Uh... Uh-oh. That's not good. <laughs> if it's not one thing, it's another. That's, uh, I don't know. My both both of my my children are, are sick and it's just been it's just been one of these weeks where it's just it's very unfortunate timing. Uh, it's my son's birthday next week and it's just a, a total bunch of uh, chaos in, in the moment. So that that is that is my current state right now. So I would be disingenuous if I if I said things are going great. They're not. That's totally understandable. So I uh, will get through this review and then you can go off and. Yes. Fulfill some of your other duties. Well, we are going to get into tonight's episode, uh, which again took place from Rochester. And for those in New York, they did announce that Dynamite and Rampage will be returning to the state of New York with a show in Buffalo on Wednesday, September the 7th at the Key Bank Center. So that is the major arena in Buffalo. And this would represent um, Surpassing Detroit as the closest in proximity for uh, Canadians to cross the border. I mean, this is a this is a sub two hour trekway. I know. Yeah. I mean, you know, we it doesn't look like we're getting all out, but we got a dynamite the week the a few days after. So um, yeah, this will be the show coming out of the pay per view uh, out of all out. Yes. Yep. So yeah, I'm I'm sure the Canadian contingent will be uh, out in full force at Buffalo. Yes, yes. I think uh, I think WH will be taking a nap that night, probably. Maybe, oh, maybe, I, I think, maybe I he'll want to he, go. I think he's intended on, he's spoken about wanting to go to okay. an AEW show. So well, maybe, he'll probably maybe, we'll, maybe we will all go down for uh, September the 7th. But that was announced ahead of time, and the tickets for that are going on sale in a couple of weeks on the 22nd. Uh, tonight, it looks like this is going to be the pattern going forward. We had Excalibur, Taz, and Tony Schiavone for the first hour and bringing Jim Ross out for the second hour. I will tell you, like, when you do, like, Jim Ross's theme never fails that it gets a a great response from, from the audience, like, midway through the show. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets a great response at the beginning of the show, too, when it's not on TV. So at any point, they play the, the, the theme makes him come out feeling like a bigger deal. Um, I think as well, it, you know, it, 
it allows a chance for Taz to shine. And, and by far, this is the better team of having Excalibur and Taz. Uh, who's the third person that they have? Shivani. In the first hour? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, I mean, more importantly, I think it gives Taz a, a chance to shine on the main show, and he's really been fantastic. So I, I think it's a setup that that is working out so far. Do you think it's a positive to have Jim Ross on Rampage on Fridays? Is it a positive? Um, I mean, I don't think it really hurts. You know, I think it probably helps. It probably helps having a bit of that star power. Not to say, like, people are tuning into Rampage just to hear Jim Ross. Um, but maybe if you're getting a casual fan flipping around, recognizing Jim, Ross vo- Jim Ross's voice, maybe that's a benefit. I-, I don't know if it makes that big of a difference either way. Yeah. Um, obviously, Rampage is just starting as we're speaking. I assume they're doing what they did last week because Jericho is... Uh, he's off uh, in the UK this week, so that is he was not actually on Dynamite tonight. So it's not a case where he would have been around to even do Rampage this week. I guess we will see when he returns, if he still has a seat on Rampage, if they have Jim Ross there and Jericho is going to be there as well, what the makeup will be, especially for Rampage after we've seen a few weeks of this, this new uh, commentary strategy that they have had. But starting the night off was... We go to the back, and there's Wardlow making his big entrance, and he is challenging Scorpio Sky in a street fight for the TNT Championship. Uh, I guess at some point here, Excalibur did reference MJF, and yet all these people buzzing. What what could that mean? He said MJF. Well, it meant nothing. Uh, so Wardlow did his big entrance, and Scorpio Sky comes out flanked by, um, I guess, I, I, I would Question if they were card-carrying members of American Top Team, though I did recognize uh, Kevin Matthews there, uh, KM in, in Impact. Um, the rest could not uh, pick out of a lineup, but I, I don't know if they were uh, full-fledged uh, ATT members. Guess I'm going to assume they didn't fly any actual ATT members up from Florida. I don't think maybe, so. Maybe just found somebody in the local area or people who are willing to make the drive from the uh, independent wrestling scene to take some of those bumps. But uh, sure, whatever. They got, they got the... The, the tank tops, you know, like looked official what, enough. What we needed were stationary targets for Wardlow to lift and and send into orbit. That's what <laughs> these people were, were filling a role of. And they did bring up right at the beginning this being Brody Lee's hometown and his connection to the TNT championship. And Dan Lambert slaps Wardlow on the back. And then the uh, the ATT guys all stand in the way. And this allows Sky to send Wardlow into the steps, getting the heat as they go over the break. Uh, Sky then gets sent to the mat and Wardlow hits a swanton. And from this moment on, I mean, this crowd was just all behind Wardlow. Um, the last six weeks were just let's go back to how hot this guy was going into the uh, double or nothing show. Red hot crowd for Wardlow down the stretch here, and he just destroys everybody. The uh, he hit, he goes for the power bomb. The ATT guys run in, and he wrecks shop on these individuals. Military presses one dude to the rest on the floor, turns around, and Sky nails him with a belt shot for a two count. Then Wardlow stops a TKO, runs Sky into Dan Lambert on the apron. The straps come down. One power bomb, two power bombs, three power bombs, and he just stands on top of Scorpio Sky for the clean win. And Wardlow is your new TNT champion. And this crowd went nuts for this. Oh, they did. Yeah, I mean, they saw a title change. I mean, for Wardlow, I think it's in his story arc. It's it's the culmination of a several months journey. Um, it was a much more straightforward match than I expected. You know, despite all these shenanigans here with the, with the street fight, but. 
I was um, wondering this afternoon whether or not they would be continuing this feud because I think Scorpio Sky is a TNT champion. To me, he hasn't necessarily achieved a whole lot. You know, he he's had that feud with Sammy Guevara, which I think has been at this point universally panned and hasn't really had any significant, I would say, defenses or feuds beyond that. And, and, so and, was, that, and, and has been hurt, too. So mm -hmm. who knows how much that has interrupted things. And so for that reason, I wondered if they would keep the belt on him a little bit longer, have Wardlow chase a little bit before actually getting the victory. But instead, this was about as straightforward of a Wardlow win as we would expect, you know, along with, of course, some uh, putty patrol uh, spots that, that you know, will always work incredibly well for him. And I thought we're very well done here. But then just, you know, Powerbomb Symphony, one, two, three, clean win. And maybe this is for the better because Wardlow ultimately is your big project and to keep him strong, even with the championship win here, maybe is the more important goal. Um, so uh, it, it completely connected with this crowd and, and, and they cheered him as if, you know, he was as hot as the MJF feud. Yeah. I, 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 I like Scorpio sky a lot and I think he um, d didn't fully benefit from this, this whole TNT championship. And I think there were several factors that you, you listed uh, that that affected it, but you know Wardlow felt like the big star, and I would say I'm not going to say this was the best match on Dynamite, but I did think this was the most effective thing on the show because Wardlow, um, you you can argue that he was certainly just kind of in this holding pattern the last few weeks, and tonight just felt like snap their fingers and we have this this big monster. He wins. The crowd went nuts for it. I don't think you could have asked for a better outcome here in terms of how he was received from this audience and m moving ahead now, you know, feels like a player in this company. They gave you big confetti celebration. The visual at the end was really wonderful. And now you have a bit of an excuse to bring back the TNT Open Challenge with him being a TNT champion as a babyface. And he can essentially continue these squash matches for a long, long time until he gets hot enough for the crowd to demand him. And, and until maybe the company feels that he's ready for something beyond the TNT championship, which, of course, would be the world championship at that point. But um, it, it, it kind of adds a, a bit of a longer lease on this Wardlow formula of match that we've developed up until this point. Yes, I'm not going to fall into the the trap we have for the Intercontinental title whenever someone new wins it and we say, oh, they should have a real long reign to now really, you know, reestablish this title, uh, the TNT title. Let, let's let's see how much time he gets with this thing. Yeah, like, I mean, a lot of quick runs we've had this year, haven't we? Oh, dude, dude, I could never go through the title lineage of the TNT title from this year mm -hmm. alone. It's just been all over the place. Mm -hmm. John Moxley cut a really nice promo in the back saying that a lot of people have tried to make their name off him and lost money betting against him. People think that Brody King is going to surprise me. Well, he brings up that he knows what type of monster Brody King is. He beat Tanahashi last week, a man he respects. Days later, he's carving people's faces in at Blood and Guts. I'm glad he um, specified that this was in a wrestling match, not just randomly carving out people's faces. And he knows Brody King from New Japan, ROH. I've got all the streaming services. And he knows his friends. I know your enemies. Well, how big is your heart? You're going to be swimming in deep waters with the biggest shark in the game. And at Blackpool Combat Club, we find your limits and we push them. Step up or get stepped on. I'm sure he's, a, he's an honor club member. Yeah, he's he's uh, I'm sure he was one of the, the last ones to, uh, you know, let go yeah. of Honor Club. You never know. Probably signed up to everything. IWTV, anything that's out there. I'm sure he's he's got a an account. Strong promo from Mox. You know, he really is, I think, an ideal lead. 
for this promotion, speaking at sounding like a champion every time he talks. Yeah. Um, Brody King needed something on this show. And this is, you always bring up this point. It's a very strong one. Like that is something in NXT that they, they dedicate that time to. And we'll get into a segment later where it was a very truncated version of a terrific promo that you would have no idea of just based on, on the recap. And for this show, like ideally you would have wanted like Brody King is a relatively cold challenger and you're building this whole show towards this guy going for the title at the very least. Um, you could argue he needed this promo time more than John Moxley did because I don't think you're selling people on the idea of a title change and give us something that at least puts some kind of doubt in like you don't as a viewer know that much about Brody King. He has not presented with any kind of depth on this show beyond he's the sidekick of Malachi Black. I completely agree. You know, if you if it wasn't for this mock promo, if you're strictly watching television, you would have no idea that Brody King spent any amount of time in Ring of Honor or New Japan Pro Wrestling. And even if you did pay attention to Mox, you would have no idea what his accomplishments were in either of those promotions. It's not like they don't have this library to under their ownership. They have all the footage that you possibly need to tell a Brody King story to even, you know, between New Japan Strong and Ring of Honor. I'm sure they would have access to so um, I, I, I just think that they give a little too much credit for their audience to know who somebody like Brody King is when, you know, I, I would say uh, uh, for people who haven't spent time in WWE, I think that's a big question. You know, if you're Claudio Castagnoli, yeah, I think everybody would probably most people watching would know who you were. But if you're anybody who hasn't really spent a significant time in a national spotlight, they're essentially, you know, no names. And and if you have the resources to tell a bigger story to introduce them, I don't know why you wouldn't use them. And we know that it's like, listen, these AEW shows, they are very much structured around bell to bell content. But there is plenty of like we had two separate segments with Mark Sterling and Tony Nese with this petition tonight. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me like building this this nothing rampage match was of of the most significance uh, on this show. So, I mean, they do find time for talking segments and even with lower level stars. And this was your main event. And I did think it needed like that extra push because of where the challenger is slotted. And that takes us to Mark Sterling and Tony Nice. They approach Keith Lee and they are trying to get Swerve removed from the roster and they have a petition. And Lee explains they do have trust issues, but he's still my partner and we're still winning. Unlike you. So is this how contracts can be uh, eradicated? If you get enough signatures, it can void someone's contract. I don't know how that works, but he's the lawyer. I suppose it's a start. You know, how 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 effective are, are petitions, period? You know, I, I mean, they're 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 abundant. But like, I, I suppose it's just a way to prove to whoever is actually in power that change people want to see want to see change um i don't think the petition in and of itself is any sort of legally binding document is this not the the storyline key to open the door to mjf's exit from this company he's the most hated guy in the company all he needs is someone to get a petition and he's free he can go to wwe then well it'd have to be quite the petition i mean who knows what the makeup of his contract is christian cage and his turtleneck are joined by luchasaurus and they come out and Christian explains that on the heels of blood and guts, I'm the cage everyone is talking about. And he goes on to explain why Luchasaurus aligned with him. But before he can explain, Matt Hardy comes out and he calls Christian the Michael Jordan of being an asshole. 
People throw the term the Michael Jordan of blank like really loosely these days. I've never huh? heard this one though. <laughs> you are Jordan you are the Michael asshole. Jordan of being an asshole. Some people would argue Michael Jordan is the Michael Jordan of being an asshole. <laughs> I was I was offended. Matt says that uh, Jungle Boy was his friend and he did not deserve that. Yes, Matt Hardy and Jungle Boy they go way back. Cage says that they don't know Jungle Boy the way that he does. And Matt is starting to make his brother sound like the sober one. And, dude, the reaction was first. This crowd was literally stunned that they mm. went there. And then it turned into loud chants of asshole. I I, I gave more of a pass on the on the Luke Perry one. Um, this one, to me, I, I, I did not like the idea of taking this very real story and turning a drinking and driving story into just a, a cheap pop here but this is also like this is the christian character now that he's going for of every week having a line that generates this reaction yeah yeah in professional wrestling we you know it it is a, a very bizarre and i think wonderful art form where it often encourages, you know, taking the most taboo, real life, uncomfortable topics and turning them into entertainment. Um, and every viewer is going to have their own line of what they deem comfortable uh, when it comes to something like this. I think in Jeff Hardy's case, though, we've seen enough instances of this over to, and over again. That they have yeah, done across, you know, we saw plenty in WWE and in AEW. It's a relatively new phenomenon. I would say maybe this feels like one of the first times that they've kind of dove into at least, you know, with Jeff Hardy. Um, maybe being as close to, to like the, the, the business and, and his career as you and I are, it probably feels a lot more uncomfortable. Um, then like, but you know, I was scoping up Reddit and everybody like at least, you know, uh, for people that were upvoting comments seem to really enjoy this Christian thing. So it, it's going to be different. If you would happen to enjoy it, I'm not going to fault you for it, but, um, it, if it made you uncomfortable, well, I don't blame you either. Um, and maybe that was by design. It was by design. Like that is the emotion they want to evoke out of you. But at the same time, you have to look that you are benefiting off of this, this, drinking and driving story to benefit a character to benefit your storyline mm -hmm. and and use it for entertainment and i i think like that if you're going to go that direction that that comes with a um a stigma that you are putting on yourself that that is how you're building this and the issue here is not whether or not jeff hardy would have signed off on this would have given been given warning we don't know of course but with his brother involved i would certainly well, well marco stunt sure didn't know that that comment was coming uh, a couple of weeks ago yeah, you but would assume would be, here, but they also weren't talking about like, you know, his Marco stunts sobriety or any sort of like, you know, terrible uh, additional thing anyway. But, but that's not even the point. You know, the point is, is using this for story. OK, and, and how will this make the company look? Should God forbid, you know, Jeff Hardy go through something like this again in the future? You know, like yeah, he's I currently in rehab, as far as I know. And, and and is this is this just the best look for a company that's just you know still trying to really like how how does that go if you wanted to run this line by Jeff who's contacting him and how are you going through you're contacting the, the rehab facility can you put Jeff on the line we want to run something by him I, I'm I'm not sure what sort of contact there is but I would assume it would start with Matt anyway like th at this point it's speculation but I don't I I'm not sure. 
Matt says that Kay's trying to use Luchasaurus to make money, and Matt admits he's guilty of that too. I took Private Party and Butcher and the Blade, and I used them. I hate myself for it, and I regret that time. And the last month of my life has been upside down. Perhaps it's karma, and I won't let Luchasaurus be taken advantage of. And Cage calls him a clout chaser. You use your kids, your wife, your brother-in-law, a dilapidated boat, and you even turn a blind eye to your brother's issues to ride his coattails one last time. And Cage is the hottest and most influential star in AEW. Matt's just trying to attach himself. You're more embarrassing to your family than Jeff. And Cage and Hardy go to fight when Luchasaurus jumps in, attacking Matt, uh, boots his head into the post, and then choke slams him through a table on the floor. And Cage goes up to him and says, there's your clout for the day, Matthew. So what do you think of the segment overall? Yeah, I, I mean, it certainly made made you uncomfortable and got a reaction. Um, you know, maybe my personal feelings about the content aside, I think the delivery that Christian has been giving in his just overall aura as this like asshole, the Michael Jordan of assholes, I think he's been very good. Um, but he's you know, very good as the as, in this version, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, again, is it does it is it so uncomfortable that it's taking you out of the immersion of this entertainment program? I, I think that's a question for every person watching it, um, for their own, you know, uh, limits. Yeah, I, I think the fact that this guy's literally in rehab and it's, um, you know, just background. But uh, again, there are there are going to be people that that love that you are using real life issues, and it's going to have that much more of a. Um, uh, it, it's going to hit that much uh, harder when you're when you're relying on that stuff. People are going to have different reactions to it. I, I will tell you, and maybe this is just going to be Matt being fed to Luchasaurus. Um, that's probably where we're going because it almost seems like the Christian character is. This guy who does not work, he just is going to be um, avoiding. He's using everyone else to fight his battles. And this guy is probably going to go. And the next match he will have is the big one with, with Jungle Boy. And it's going to be um, like, I don't see a Matt Hardy Christian Cage co- match coming out of this is what I'm trying to say. Well, we wonder exactly like because like I think to have Christian Cage be the end like end game in the feud might be a bit of a disservice to ultimately who I think are, are the projects here in your younger guys in Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. I feel like they should do what they can to, you know, like make Luchasaurus feel like he's the ultimate opponent for Jungle Boy. And, you know, Christian more so in the Bobby Heenan role where he might, you know, get his comeuppance in, in a in an attack. I, I think the, the big side. match, though, has to be Jungle Boy beating Christian. Like at the end of it, I think that is that is the big win for Jungle Boy. Um, Perhaps, yeah. I, I'm also cu- curious, you know, what the continued tease of this reason why he's got Luchasaurus wrapped around his finger is. He 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 was about to reveal it today, and you know, Marco Stunt. So in an interview, Marco Stunt said um, something to the effect of, "Like he has his own presumptions of like where the story is going," and I think he he's thinking that Christian replaced him, and that's why he brought Marco Stunt up. When to me, it feels like. Um, because they're hinting at like some sort of blackmail um, story going on. So it, it seems more to me like it might have been something that Luchasaurus did that caused uh, Marco Stunt's exit. Anyway, there's a bit of a mystery that that is yet to reveal. Maybe itself. Luchasaurus was the last signature on the petition. <laughs> Petitions is how people just lose their jobs. Eh? Mm-hmm. Then we had the Blood and Guts recap. And this featured uh, comments from the Road 2 special, including uh, we had Ortiz in here, Regal, 
And if you missed it, um, very quick from Matt Menard. And I watched this and like you would have no idea. And this was kind of like the, the, the talk of everything on, on Tuesday night was this impassioned promo uh, from Matt Menard. Also a very good one from uh, Angelo Parker. Uh, mm-hmm. But to me, Matt Menard, um, this was the most significant thing I've seen out of this guy in his career. Like to me. I'm not saying it will necessarily be this way because this was really just glossed over on the show and not played up as a big deal. But if it was, I could imagine a year from now, uh, this promo being much more of a lasting image from this match than Sammy Guevara being tossed off the top of the cage. Like that's how great this promo was for Matt Menard, who was a, a comedy goofball, an entertaining comedy goofball, but a goofball nonetheless, and did this promo and, this to me was very much the the same reaction like Eddie Kingston got when he debuted and did that incredible uh, passionate speech when he was approaching Cody. And I just thought this promo was terrific uh, from Matt Menard. He's talking about missing his kids first steps. Yes. Because he, he couldn't be there because of this. Um, and you and really talk- have to watch this. It's about three minutes. I could not do it justice. It's incredible. Um, but, you know, very graphic because there's a lot of dry blood on people's faces, okay, and across all of these promos. So um, maybe watch it. Turn your screen to black and white if you're if you're squeamish. I, I totally agree with you. Um, I don't I mean, but, you know, I, I don't see it getting more, more play than, for instance, the same Guevara than anything that we saw on TV. By the sheer fact that we didn't really see this on TV, John. No, you know, and, I and, I 100% would have played this. And I think they have such they avoid putting stuff like this on TV. And it was just, boom, you had like two lines out of Matt Menard. You would have, nothing would have struck you from this package of this being anything out of the ordinary because it was Mm -hmm. quick, quick, quick. Get It was like mixing in the other ones. But man, this was an incredible promo and one that to me would have been like, you would have had such a different view of Matt Menard after this. And instead it was just, it was totally lost in the show. This would not have stood out to you in any way. They have their reasons, you know, like they, they're the guys with the numbers who are, who have the minute by minute um, ratings to, to determine whether or not it's worthwhile to do this stuff versus putting it on road to, um, I'll say, I think for me, just as a viewer at some point, I, I feel like some things are worth sacrificing for better story or at least just for a better viewing experience. And in the, in the case of like a Matt Menard, Maybe for the long-term build of a potential guy that you can rely on to become a bigger star than just a comedy figure. So, yeah, I mean, it's there are things about Dynamite I really would wish that they would, you know, just do more of. And that's promos and, and things like this. In this day and age, like what, what Christian said in that promo a few weeks ago, like, yes, it was in character, but it rang true of the idea that we see all these incredible matches And yet, you know, he refers to like the TLC matches people are still talking about all these years later. How many incredible matches could I list off that have happened in the last 30 days, even in the last seven days that just come and go? To me, promos are one thing where when there's a great promo, that's a way that you can stand out a bit differently. And I would argue like this, this promo was way more important than anything Matt Menard did in that match last week. And it really drove home the blood and guts match. Like I... I would have argued about starting the show with this video package and this extended uh, promo of just here is the the aftermath of this war that you watched uh, go off the air last week. And here are the survivors of this war and this incredible speech from Matt Menard. But I, I would say if you are if you are 
tailoring your show by just the idea of any non-wrestling that could lose a viewer minute by minute. I just think that's your it's a really difficult way to um, miss out on stuff that falls into your lap like this and get it to the largest audience possible. But I recommend you watch the promo if you have not already. Shivani is with uh, Claudio and Jake Hager, who was decked out in jeans, a fanny pack, and ditched the shirt. He looked ridiculous here. And they have signed a waiver way for no physicality backstage. I maintain this should just be a rule, okay? This a uh, flat rule. Any any fighting that happens backstage, no petitions. You're gone. No petitions. Okay. I don't I don't need an explanation no every time. There's no they have agreed to no physicality. They have been in negotiations all day. Hager says that he knows he isn't as tough or as hard as him. And you've never been a world champion like me. Dude, I'm going through my head. I'm like, this guy was like, oh, yeah, he was a world champion, technically. Money in the Bank winner. Very memorable run. Who did he beat? He beat Jericho. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, Says that Claudio wasn't a champion in WWE or ROH. Claudio brings up, I beat Zack Sabre Jr. in my first match. And then we beat the Jericho Appreciation Society. And you carry Jericho's bags be undefeated in MMA, but I'm 2-0 in AEW, and we will meet next week. Two undefeated stars will meet. Someone's always got to go next week on Fighter Fest, night H- one. H- Hager is undefeated in MMA. I think he's got a no contest in there, but he has not been beaten in, a, in okay. MMA. So that's on the line? Yes, his MMA record is at stake here <laughs> um, okay. in this. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. Just, why not? <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see. Two, how, two and zero oh versus three zero oh and one no contest. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, so alert. Uh, Tapology and Suredog after <laughs> after Dynamite next week they might have to uh, they might have to update their their records. Yeah, it's it's a nice little match for next week. You know, it's 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 a reunion of the what do they call them? The real, real Americans. Ameri- real Americans? The real Americans. That is that is correct, yeah. Oh, we're going to get all those We the People chants next week, aren't we? At least for a bit, yeah. Sure. Okay. The Butcher and the Blade, accompanied by the Bunny, took on Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. Early on, Swerve and Blade uh, messed up this leapfrog spot. Um, just looked uh, not fun for Blade as uh, Swerve just came crashing down on him. And then Swerve did a drop down, tripping Blade. And then uh, the Bunny... Uh, blocks a kick off the apron as Swerve is going for it, and he gets swept by Blade and dumped on his head onto the apron and lands on the floor. Excalibur says, I've just heard in my ear, we have a new match tonight. The Gun Club and the Acclaimed will be in an eight-man tag. So they just carved out some time here for this eight-man tag later. Lee comes in. Uh, we see uh, Lee set up for a pounce, but Blade pulls Swerve in front, so it's Swerve who takes the pounce from Lee. And they get the advantage on Keith Lee. Butcher launches Swerve into a knee strike and then a big lariat for a near fall as Keith Lee leaps to make the save. And for like the last, I would say, two minutes or so, this just stops being a tag match. Uh, The referee has just realized these four are staying in here permanently. Let's just burn the tag ropes. So we just have a tornado match here. Lee lifts Blade into the double foot stomp and then into the sit-out powerbomb from Lee and Swerve pins Blade. So they win again. They win again, but with a little bit of miscommunication in there to continue a bit of that tease. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a, an all right match here. You know, um, Butcher and the Blade, of course, being from uh, nearby in Buffalo. 
Uh, not necessarily getting any sort of hometown treatment here. This was a no. card that was still very much for Lee and Swerve. Um, they're a team that I think has been like this story of them, the two of them not getting along is just like um, not really doing it for me. I have to say, like, I don't know if it's just because I've seen seen it so often in the WWE or if it's the fact that maybe I'd rather see the two of them as single stars at this point and just want to get like they're not necessarily building any sort of like solid momentum towards like the tag team championships, even though like they're getting a match next week. I just don't see it happening. Um and then, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just kind of ready for them to go on their own separate ways. Yeah, I don't think you re- – like, he dumped them out of the Battle Royal last month. And, okay, it's like every man for himself. But it just – it's like – I don't think anyone's really invested in, like, why are you t- – you guys are winning all these matches. It just seems like a I, – I don't have, like, an emotional reason to want you to stay together nor break mm-hmm. up. You know what I mean? It's like right. we just feel like we're going through the motions of this. Um and and they've had they're having like really good matches as a team. So I don't think it's the um the partners not getting along is more of a turnoff than um what they have been producing in the ring. That's been the most compelling stuff with these two. I mean, there there are just clearly other tag teams in this division that this crowd is connecting a lot more with, as we'll go on to discuss. Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks storm out. Hobbs says, We are two grown ass men, you trick ass bitch. Yeah. Do you have one of your favorite insults? Yes. Yes. I've, I've been called that a few times by you off air. Starks then takes over and says, we can end your careers online or on this microphone. You are several levels below us. And then, dude, this guy goes full like Ric Flair, 1987, screaming. He's going to take his clothes off. Somehow he lost his shoes and all this and is screaming about, who the greatest team is and going to make a challenge. Totally felt like Ric Flair to me. Just, you know, the same sort of chaotic, chaotic yes. messiness uh, on live TV as well, where you don't exactly know what he just said. Um, he just loses control because he's so pissed off. He also mentioned how, like, you know, we could end your career. You better ask our former teammate something to the effect of some former teammate. Are they talking about Brian Cage? They would have to be, right? Must be. There? Yeah. I, I don't. I think... mean, Brian Cage's career is fine. He's he's a part of this Tully Blanchard uh, enterprises. Yeah, with the uh, the the what is it? The the Hounds of Agony or what, whatever the hell their name is. Uh, I don't know. The the Ghouls of Agony, the Gates of Agony, <laughs> Gates of Agony, <laughs> the Gates of Agony. Yeah, <laughs> great name. Um, not the not the authors of Pain, the Gates of Agony. Yes, yes. Which I mean, yeah, the the Gates of Agony might have been the. Uh, the, the Motor Point Arena on Saturday. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That'll be a take. Way I'll tackle that on the news on Thursday. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was a great promo from, from Ricky Starks as well. And Hobbs is, is finding himself too, I think, uh, personality oh, wise so. on the microphone. Like they, yeah. they complement each other really well. I, I like yes. these two together. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Starks is going to be the one receiving most of the microphone time, but they're, they're letting uh, Hobbs speak more and more. He sounded great today. So as they're debating the greatest tag team, the Young Bucks come out and they explain they don't have to apologize for interrupting because they started this company and this tag division is on fire. Everyone's eating well, but let's not forget who set the table. Nick praises Swerve and Keith Lee for their four and a half star match at Double or Nothing, which is what we call an off night. And you still lost to Jurassic Express. And who beat Jurassic Express a few weeks later as they hold up their tag titles? Matt Jackson suggests they go triple or nothing and proposes a three-way match for next week in Savannah, Georgia, 
Uh, the only thing was, um, this crowd just started all chanting for FTR. And, um, yeah, it just brought the house down like it, uh, like it brought my house down here. <laughs> uh, so John, unfortunately without camera, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was the thing that stood out to me the most about this particular, uh, segment where it was, um, you know, one where featuring um, two heel tag teams in the Young Bucks, as well as Hobbs and Starks, and then a babyface tag team that I think they're really trying to get over in Lee and Swerve. But everybody just would rather see FTR. Um, and it was a bit of a rare instance of, I think, an AEW crowd hijacking the show by chanting for something that they're not necessarily um, the, the show is intending for them to, to cheer for. Uh, so everybody took notice and I'm sure like it's immediate that I think this crowd really wants to see FTR injected into this world title picture. They're by far the hottest baby face tag team above, you know, any of the other of the other ones. I'm sure the match will be great next week, but I wouldn't be surprised if those chance dominated next week too. Yeah. It was, it was one of those instances where, where sometimes AEW, they're really on the ball uh, expecting certain reactions like this and then they deliver it and this was one where listen i'm not complaining this three-way is going to be tremendous i think mm -hmm. on television next week but it, it was one of those where um yeah th this crowd like when they brought up like the greatest tag team this crowd they wanted to see ftr in the mix here and long term you have to imagine that the bucks and ftr is a destination i just don't think that's happening in savannah next week but it, it it's not a bad thing that your audience is kind of being is leading you in that direction and that's with all the belts that ftr have it would only make sense that eventually they go after the AEW tag titles could be, honestly at this point be as soon as all out you know yeah. like with them being as hot as they are i don't know if they're going to get any hotter and that match against the Bucks, of course, is you know probably the marquee match that they that they that they're looking forward to. But they can't do it next week yet. Although this crowd will probably continue to cheer for it. We had a House of Black promo. Malachi Black admires Moxley for the damage he has inflicted on himself. Their violence is by design, but not the Impact Wrestling Group. He doesn't know pain and violence, but King will leave his mark on Moxley and will go far beyond the physical realm of pain. And after Malachi Black cut the promo, Brody King walked into the shot, and that was the the setup. This was not the uh, the promo material I was referring to earlier, um, but this yeah. was something. It looked cool, but you know, beyond looking cool, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot about you know Brody King's accomplishments um, beyond him essentially being a lackey for Malachi Black. Eddie Kingston was out with Tony Schiavone. He congratulates Wardlow, congratulates his team on winning last week, even Claudio. He says, and then jokes about him maturing. When all of a sudden. Uh, or, well, first he says that Jericho made him a liar last week. I didn't taste your blood, so I'm going to make you bleed. And Jericho appears on the screen. Uh, this was pre-taped. And they reveal that Ruby Soho is being attacked. And there is the, the limo. And Ty Conti slams the door on her arm, leaving Ruby down on the floor. This was uh, uh, right out of uh, WCW and uh, Jim Crockett promotions. And there you have uh, Ruby down and out. We didn't get the reaction of, of Eddie Kingston. I think they should have uh, put the camera back on him to react to this. But um, there, there you go. Maybe you'll get a big promo online next week, you know, just of, of him being really upset. He, he'll, he'll cut like a nine minute, like death sentence on Jericho. And we'll get 30 seconds next week. Yeah. Uh, so quick, like quick package <laughs> that'll include highlights of the angle. 
I, I enjoyed the angle here. You know, it, it looked really good. Whatever they do to like, you know, work these sort of like car slamming things um, definitely convinced me. I, I, I like the continued association of Eddie with Ruby Soho. I'm still not exactly sure like why, but I'm just assuming that they, you know, their their reason for a lot of the, the teams on the show is, oh, they go way back in the indies. OK, in the indies, like as this like black hole of like this story and depth that we're just, I suppose, you know are supposed to assume that I'm know, fine existed. with that though. I I'm think fine like, too. like they've made too. the connection. She was out there last week. So I, I, I like people hey. at least know that, uh, that this is someone he, he cares for. If you can buy that Seamus and Drew McIntyre, our best friends that go way back, you know, um, I, I could buy this. Yeah. It's, it's not a problem. I, I like it. And, and, and the fact that it, it not only sets up Eddie versus Jericho, but also Soho versus Conti as well, uh, I think gives her something relevant to do gives Ty Conti something relevant to do. And um, yeah, uh, we're finally going to get that singles match. Drew Drew Sheamus is legit. Like they, they I know. They, I know. Oh, okay. Um, Dark Order comes out um, surprisingly here. Well, maybe not uh, given given the show and where they were. And they're joined by Negative One, and we get chance of Brody. And John Silver says that this is Dark Order country, and Evil Uno has a message and thanks them for supporting Dark Order. And he says. They're they're almost like teasing, like they're we're we're gonna we're gonna go our separate ways at this point. Like you've seen the group kind of dwindle with with people leaving. Alan Angels being the most recent, but says the six of us are here to stay. Dark Order is forever, and we're beginning a new chapter. And Negative One is going to deliver the proclamation when QT Marshall comes out, calling Negative One a charity case, and Evil Uno is holding them back. <laughs> Negative One's ready to just destroy this dude. And QT says that Brody was a legend, but you're not your father. You take after your mother and says that he wants to challenge negative one man to man. Send the Dark Order to the back. And this guy's <laughs> challenging the child to a man on man uh, violent affair and then threatens to rip the heads off of his toys in the locker room. All of a sudden, Hangman Page comes out to a huge pop. Everyone takes turns destroying QT. And at the end, Negative One says, I would pin you right now, but I'm going to wait until I'm 18. I think he's at 19. 19? He? Okay. Yeah. 19. So Which is how many years a, away? Um, A lot. This is the longest build that they have going in AEW. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of curious how, whether or not J, um, QT will be, even be wrestling by that point. You know, knowing AEW, and he has to. He's got to stick around now for this match. Listen, if this company is still around, guaranteed they will pay this off. Okay, at some point we will go back to this uh, video, uh, maybe a 30 second clip right before it actually happens, and then we will get our big payoff um, several years down in the future uh, if KT KT Marshall is still active and able. Of course, I thought it was. Um, yeah, I would. I think we're all wondering whether or not, you know, being in Rochester, the kind of unofficial home base of, of the Dark Order, the spiritual home base of, of, of the Dark Order, whether or not we would see any sort of presence at all um, and or whether we like just kind of see this continued background. Um, I don't know, uh, fading away of, of this faction one by one. So it was really nice that we got this little bit of presence here. Um, addressing maybe like, you know, a bit of the elephant in the room, the, the departure of several members. We also had a bit of confirmation here that Colt Cabana doesn't right. seem to be a part of this group anymore. They did. I mean, uh, Stu, uh, uh, Evil Uno did say the six of us of which uh, Colt Cabana was not present. So, um, 
we shall see, you know, if he just continues to pop up in ROH separately or something else. But um seems like this is the six members of the Dark Order. And uh, the question is, though, will they have any sort of significant storylines, you know, beyond just being kind of Hangman Page's putty patrol and beyond maybe the yearly appearance here at Rochester to to give a state of the 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 Dark Order address? Yeah, that that's right. And um yeah, this it's a group were you, that were you trying to look up Brody Lee's uh, I, I was Brody actually I was actually at, at the end of twenty twenty, he was eight years old. So if you do the math, he's either like nine or ten. So uh, we're looking I mean, at like a nine to ten year build to, less to than match. a decade here, you know, before so. the, we, we get payoff to this angle. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I, I don't know like how much uh presence you'll see from Dark Order, but this does feel like a restart that they have to do at least something in the in the short term uh, with them. I certainly hope it. This isn't just a one week thing, and we actually get some momentum put behind the Dark Order. I, I, I mean, the people that have left. Um, it sounds like you know we're largely like contractual issues, and maybe them not making enough, the, the not getting the offers that they they want. Um, but with this group of six, it sounds like they're the ones that are going to be sticking around, and I don't see why you wouldn't at least you know make an attempt at giving a bigger storyline for them because they are a very beloved group with a lot like silver and Reynolds, I, I think should be making a very legitimate chase for the tag team championships. Um, I think evil Uno as a singles wrestler, I'd, I'd love to see a whole lot more of, you know, giving being in Anna J of course, you know, I think um, like these are all people that I would say to some extent are pretty over. And as a group that they, they are very much over. So I, I, I would say like, it's it's been a, a bit of a question, you know, questionable to me why they've been so underutilized beyond, you know, the the two that have left. Jim Ross came out for the second hour, and that began with Pento Oscuro and Roosh. And Roosh tries to rip at the mask early on, but Penta stops him, hits a sling blade, and then a tope con hero. And the way it was shot, man, it looked like this guy was not going to clear the rope, but it hit it just fine, but uh, it was uh, just the way he like got it, got got up. It was like, man, is he gonna clear the ri- the rope? But he did, in fact, do it. Then we had uh, Alex Abrahantis and Jose just do the uh, the cat fight spot and spear spears them, and then they have to be separated by Andrade and Phoenix. Uh, Roosh hit this very nice looking snap power slam, and Penta comes back with a backstabber. They go back and forth. Both men are down after a leaping knee strike from Roosh. Roosh lands the missile drop kick and then a senton off the top for a two count sets up for the bull's horns when Penta stops him with a rolling cutter. Fear factor is hit, but Andrade puts Roosh's boot onto the rope and this leads to Bryce Remsburg being distracted and with his back turned, Roosh hits a low blow on Penta and then for good measure rips his mask off and cradles him as Bryce turns around, counts three in 11 minutes and 11 seconds and Phoenix uses his jacket to cover up Penta's face. Yeah, I mean, these masks, I don't know if he needs to improve, like, the string on them or, or what. I mean, they're becoming a real liability here. Maybe, like, double Velcro, you know? Yeah, or have, just... have the backup mask underneath. Ooh, two masks. Okay. Yeah. Or maybe just paint your face, like, you know, like uh, Liger. What Liger did. That'll, paint your that, face underneath the mask. That'll teach him. Uh, yeah. have to bring out, like, a paint remover, remover to try and yeah. just rub the, the paint off to embarrass you. That's it. A very good, very physical match. You know, this features some of the hardest chops that I think you'll see this week. I don't know if the crowd engagement was as strong as it should have been here. And I feel like, again, going back to maybe what we were talking about with Brody King on the show, I think they've done a relatively poor job of introducing the AEW audience to Roosh. 
again, you have that Ring of Honor library. You you even have a bit of that New Japan library to rely on. I'm sure if you wanted to, like show him with Tetsuya Naito or something. Just 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 a bit to show the audience how big of a deal he is. Like they mentioned on commentary that he's a two time Ring of Honor champion, and I don't know if anybody would have realized that prior to this match. Um, again, he just comes across much like Brody Lee. He comes across as somebody else's lackey here in, in Andrade, and I I just don't Brody know. King. I'm sorry, Brody King. Man, a lot of Brodies on the show. Yeah, that that's going to be a, a difficult one. But yeah, I I just think that they could have done a better job introducing Roosh to make him feel like like a bigger deal. Yeah, I, I like the match. I I didn't know how this one was going to to gel, but I, I thought they did a nice job. I thought I thought Roosh, you know, for for his first singles outing in, in AEW, it was it was a nice match to. Uh, start things off um, because we just had him briefly in the Battle Royal, and that was technically his AEW debut on Friday. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. It's officially announced that Samoa Joe will defend the television title against Jay Lethal on July 23rd at Death Before Dishonor. Lethal reacts with Dutt and Sutnam Singh. Lethal calls him a tough champion. I'm not taking you lightly, but we are taking your championship. And then Singh just peers in looking like a giant new champion. That's Mm. it. Yeah, we're finally getting um, the match after uh, weeks and weeks and weeks of of build to this Jay Lethal Samojo thing from the last show. I, I feel like I would have enjoyed this feud a whole lot more if it was just Jay Lethal and Samoa Joe. All the Sutnam Singh, like Sanjay Dutt stuff feels really kind of forced in with no real storyline reason about why they're there. Other than like, I guess, Sanjay being Jay Lethal's friend. I, I like Dutt. I, I think he's like a nice um, part part of this thing. I think thing. he's fine, but I just think like he's hamming it up so much as like evil, you know, like evil heel manager. It just it takes me out of like what could be a very real feeling feud between like all the history between I, I mean, the three of them. Like he feels too much like he's just like comic book villain. You know? I think that's what they want with Sutton Singh. I, I don't know if that necessarily. But for uh, Ring of Honor and for Samoa yeah. Joe, you know, like I, I think Ring of Honor should be the like your your product that feels even more sports like than AEW does. Tony Nice and Mark Sterling catch up with the best friends. They need one more name. So apparently Swerve is not all that popular. They got enough names signed on this thing. They just need one more. Guess so. Orange Cassidy explains, I don't read anything without my lawyer. So Dan Housen walks in and Sterling proposes that Orange Cassidy face Tony Nese on Rampage. And if Tony Nese wins, you have to sign the petition. It's like, what the hell is this? This is like something that I, I feel would be you would be making fun of um, this kind of a setup for a match. This just felt 100 percent. This yeah. angle felt so silly and so um, this is. So speaking about comic book characters, I think a lot of like the Mark Sterling character, as entertaining as he is, but he, like he's very much a comic book, like slapsticky type of type of gimmick, you know, like a lawyer who somehow operates in some sort of weird legal system that is not at all believable. 
Um, and, and that might kind of take away some of your immersion too in what is supposed to be a sports-like product. If you were trying to get someone fired, okay, and you had to get 100 signatures, and in one night you got 99 of them. Yeah. Would you like put your – would you like enter into a physical fight for that <laughs> one extra signature? Or would you just – you know what? I'm going to head by catering one more time and just – just do a quick roundup and see if I missed anyone. I think I would just forge a signature at that point. <laughs> this this petition, this is um, this is a weird it's, one. It's stupid. Yeah, it it's, got wait. I know it was like just it was two brief backstage segments, but more time than was needed to set this thing up for Friday. Is is Hookhausen done? By the way, uh, they weren't aligned here. It was just Danhausen on his own. Um, perhaps. Yeah, they haven't been aligned for the past week. So yeah. interesting. The Acclaimed and the Gun Club uh, versus Bear Country, Leon Ruffin, and Fuego Del Sol. So they I thought this was actually a really smart spot where Max Caster comes out. And we're mm. at the point now where the fans in the city, they want to hear this guy rap about their city or insult them or whatever. But it's a part of the show. And they were deprived of it because as soon as he comes out to start, Austin Gunn rips the microphone away. And this crowd was livid that they were not getting the rap. Um, I thought it was a really smart um, idea. Totally. Absolutely worked. You know, I mean, the claim really are baby faces at this point. And um, the, the, the crown jewel of their act is, is this, and they took it away. So despite Austin Gunn stealing the microphone, uh, Max makes a save, saving Austin, who nearly gets pinned. Bowens comes in, doing the Famouser onto Bear Boulder, and Max hits the mic drop, but Austin tags himself in, and he steals the pin in 2 minutes and 29 seconds. Not much for the match, but afterward, the acclaimed starts arguing with Austin and Colton, and they all start to fight when Billy comes in, and is just yelling, cut it out to his kids. Like he's scolding them when they were uh, like adolescents. And then he turns around and he nails Bowens with the clothesline. And Bowens holds up the scissors and Billy hits him with the famouser. And Austin gets onto the floor and scissors the limp hand of Anthony Bowens. So the mm-hmm. gun club has separated themselves from the acclaimed. No more scissoring. It's no. over. No. Cut yeah. it out. I, you know, I suppose you can look at this as the official face turn for the acclaimed. And I think at this point we can assess whether or not the overall angle, at least, you know, um, leading to the turn has been successful. And I would say it's been very successful for both of these teams. You helped, you know, um, create, I think, a really hot babyface team in the acclaimed right now. Uh, and you absolutely boosted the heel stock of these ass boys who, you know, have, I think, over delivered in my opinion when it comes to both in ring and also like as characters um so this suddenly feels like a pretty hot feud i love the little ending visual of bowens trying to throw up the scissors to daddy ass and getting attacked for it 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 was very sad bittersweet but i think both teams are going on to better things yeah Uh, kind of quick the way they they went through this like last week where he's shoving down his kids this week it's it's the turn it it just felt like okay we're, we're gonna skip all the middle stuff and just get to the feud that this was always designed to be i think maybe last week was just supposed to be like a swerve you know like a like a bit of a misdirect um do you where do you think this match takes place oh this feels like tv yeah i think so too i think so probably different combinations is billy going to get a match with bowens is that the is that the the big match 
that's the pay-per-view match maybe Bowens. maybe he is the unstoppable force you know he is like the the difference maker he's the guy who took down the new japan dojo that's it um we hear from miro who addresses malachi black they are different types of men black connects the weak he disposes of them and the redeemer is coming for the house of black and he is enraged uh but Seemed okay from the Black Mist. I mean, not going to have any paralysis, no blinding issues. He seems to, you know, he he had a long shower, got all that that gunk out of his face, and now he's pissed. I think that's the key. You you got to you, you probably only have like five minutes or ten minutes to wash that stuff out of your eye. And you J- Julia okay. Hart like went out for drinks afterwards, and it's like, yeah. hey, that, this is going to be months, months of this, and get used to an eye patch. That's it. That's not Miro. It. Miro knows he probably flushed his eyes out. Yeah. So Miro versus Malachi Black in the meantime. Um, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm down for that. Thunder Rose and Tony Storm. Thunderstorm against Nyla Rose and Marina Shafir. Uh, there was some nice grappling at the beginning between Thunder Rosa and Shafir. Thunder Rosa's got the front chancery, and they have Shafir in the corner. And then there, there is this moment where Thunder Rosa just swats her. And you see Thunder Rosa, like, turn her head, and Marina just screams, Don't apologize! And she fires back. I was like, what is this? Who apologized? Did Thunder Rosa apologize? For- Thunder Rosa must have apologized for really laying it in on the chop. Oh. And Marina just screams, <laughs> don't apologize. So, I mean, the oh, veil. Like, can we just have a pro wrestling maybe, match? Maybe she's referring to the apology that they had backstage where they broke bread after all that stuff. You know, with the. Oh, okay. This was a retroactive shooting. don't apologize, not an yeah. in the moment don't apologize. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, okay. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, a- when it comes to pro wrestling, I suppose there's an element of just like really getting into character or I don't know. Or not. <laughs> or not getting into character <laughs> in this case. Uh, we'll see if this makes it to Pachamania, I suppose. Um, Marina uh, starts to fight back and then Storm runs the ropes and Nyla Rose has an umbrella and nails her with an umbrella. So we got an umbrella on Raw and Dynamite this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the umbrellas are the new Singapore cane. I'll take these over the kendo sticks. If this is if we're going to change them around, get much more out of the umbrella. Depends on the quality of umbrella, I would say. I would take That's- a dollar store umbrella any day. Yeah. Uh, Storm gets dragged into the heel corner. So they had the advantage. Uh, Thunder Rosa then... Um, uh, she runs the ropes and she, it was interesting. Thunder Rosa runs the ropes and you see these arms reach from the, the floor and it's Shafir. And I don't know if she was supposed to trip her, but then Thunder Rosa two more times, she built up to running the ropes and they never went back to this trip spot. So I don't know if they just missed it or it was never supposed to happen, but it was, it was odd. And Storm comes in, hits her big hip attack on Shafir, and then we get an assisted Fire Thunder driver as Storm comes off the turnbuckle, and Thunder Rosa pins Shafir, and they position the two as this is their first match together. The idea that this is a pairing, and it makes you wonder, with Serena Deeb and Mercedes Martinez, if they are slowly introducing women's tag teams. That's the way it's been looking like to like me. Like they got a name, even. Oh, yeah, it's certainly. Yeah. Um, and it also looks like Nyla Rose and Marina Shafir, it, c- it continues to be a tag team. Um, whatever the baddies have going on, whatever combination that they've got going on, I'm, I'm sure will be a tag team. The odd couple, Jade and Layla Gray. Can they get along? That too. Yeah. Who, can any, any other pairings? I mean, Anna, well, Anna Jay and Ty Conti is not a thing. Anymore, you you course, can make but. plenty of teams. It just seems with those two specific ones, they are making a concerted effort right now. And let me just say, like, we can have a division without necessarily having championships. 
You know, I, I think like I, having- I don't I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Every <laughs> single division needs to be represented with belts. Every tournament needs a belt. Yeah. Um, we need a street street fight belt. We need a blood and guts championship. We need a, rump, yeah. a battle royal championship, of course. Yeah. Everything deserves a championship. I, I think tag teams are obviously just like great ways to be able to tell story. Any sort of faction, you know, war is, is a good way to continue to tell story to spring off of singles matches. Um, but can this division sustain a tag team title? Maybe, maybe at this point, you know, I certainly feel like, um, so you have the TBS, you have the women's championship, um, ROH women's championship. Well, yeah. Okay. Then maybe I kind of take it back. I don't, I don't know if it necessarily needs it, but listen, if they can tell, you know, good stories, then I'm, I'm for it. I, I'm at least for the idea of more tag team matches and more established frequent tag teams in the women's division. I think this company is already way too many titles. So I'm not going to get bent out of shape over more because it's already an issue and it's not going back. They're not reducing any of their titles. So we're at this point. So it's like, um, you know, if, if I told you way that you're, um, you're $10,000 in debt and then, <laughs> and then the next day I tell you, it's actually 12,000. It's like, are you getting as mad as when you found out you were $10,000 in debt? Once I tell you there's an, another two, it's like 12, like at that point, make it 15. Like at that point where we are, where we are. It's a wonderful analogy for a uh, championship titles that you, you just came up there. Uh, there's way too many. Is any, is there anyone out there that is outside of AEW that is going to make that argument that, yeah, this is the perfect amount of titles that yeah. we have. When we consider ROH, when we consider well, that like new Japan titles, AAA titles, so again, the the idea is, I mean, you're not hopefully going to see any sort of New Japan representation other than FTR uh, anytime soon for for their titles. Same with Ring of Honor. But I, let me just say, I am more for the idea of, I might be more for the idea of a tag team women's championship than I am for a trios championship. Which to me, I don't know if you need belts to establish this is the best trios. Like I think a tournament would be great once a year. But like belts to carry around all the time, I'm not necessarily for that. How much more story could you be telling? How about jackets? Okay, uh, jackets. Yeah, sure. Berets, maybe. Yeah, like starter jackets. Okay, let's go retro, and each team can color code their own jackets. The three of them. Starter jackets. Okay. Yeah, with the little pouch at the front. How about just like a you know really nice, um, vanny pack. Fanny packs. Okay, Jake champion. Hager is your world champion. Yeah, sure. Tony Schiavone is with the baddies, and Jade asks Stokely Hathaway, what the hell was last week? And she, he calls Layla Gray an interim baddie while Red Velvet's gone, an interim baddie, and tells Jade to trust the process, and Stokely tries to put his arm around Layla, who just shoves it off, and Jade warns Stokely, it's your ass if this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. What is the process? Uh, how do you become uh, from an interim to a full-on baddie? Um, I guess if Red Velvet doesn't come back, then you get elevated to full-time status. Hmm. Okay. Maybe you got to win a belt in this time period. <laughs> that would ensure that they got to keep you around. If you're yes. a champion, you got a belt. Then Excalibur, he just gulped down some water because <laughs> – Excalibur, we got a show on Friday. We've got a show next Wednesday. We've got this new ROH pay-per-view. And don't forget the main event. So he plugged for Rampage. Eddie Kingston against Konosuke Takeshita. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Gresham and Lee Moriarty against the Gates of Agony. 
<laughs> what a name. The Gates of Agony. I mean, it's it's along the lines of the Legion of Doom, isn't it? You know, or the Authors of Pain. It's like they're not agony. They don't represent agony. They're like the barrier before you enter agony. <laughs> okay, that like is Brian Cage the the agony behind the gates? Like, I mean, we're I, we're just keeping you from agony. You have to get yeah, through us before you are going to be agonized. The gates of agony. So before you feel pain, uh, this is sort of like the calm. They're like the the soft, gentle cushion. They're the anesthesia, basically. We're, before you they're, feel pain, they're they're the last. The last obstacle. Okay. Before agony sets in. I mean, that's, that sounds nice to me. I'm glad they're there. Okay. Mercedes Martinez and Serena Deeb will be in action. And Orange Cassidy versus Tony Nese with, I kid you not, a signature at stake. Did they actually like put that on the graphic? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Thank but that was just stipulation. If, if Orange <laughs> Cassidy loses, he has to sign his signature on this yeah. bullshit petition. And in theory, a guy gets fired if he if Cassidy loses. They're the one last signature. So what does that mean? What does this all mean? Well, then I, they can, I, I hated this thing. They can present Tony Khan with a nice round number on their signature form, and then he'll say um, bullshit. He's got a three year contract. Well, that tends to be how petitions typically go. Okay, Fighter Fest next week, night one. Presumably, night two will be Rampage. So Wednesday's got Claudio Castagnoli against Jake Hager and the Young Bucks swerve in our glory and Hobbs and Starks, which should be a phenomenal match. Um, mm-hmm. Those three. So two match announcements for next Wednesday, and then Death Before Dishonor, Samoa Joe against Jay Lethal. They confirm Wheeler Yuta against Daniel Garcia for the Pure Championship. And Shivani interviews Daniel Garcia. He went an hour with Yuta last week, forty-six minutes, and detected zero fear. And calls him the best. You will call me the best at death before dishonor. And then if that's not enough, FTR do a promo listing off the tag titles they hold. It's a lot. A lot of titles. And no match has taken more out of them than when they won these ROH titles at Supercard of Honor. But some still don't believe they're the best. And Dax says that's what's great about pro wrestling. You can believe whatever you want, but you can also be wrong. And challenges the Briscoes to a rematch at death before dishonor. If you want to be a king, you've got to kill a king, and we aren't dead yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some some big announcements I would say for Death Before Dishonor, and um, their matchmaking for this show is is of particular interest just for us to be able to see how much AEW integration of like you know full on AEW names will will be there. I love the match that they're making for the Pure Championship between uh, Wheeler Yuta and Daniel Garcia. It is, I think, the perfect type of match to make for a pure championship match. They had a tremendously well-reviewed match on the Indies last year in August with many talking about it being a match of the year candidate. I believe like a 60-minute draw or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, so this time they're going to bring, bring it to a bigger stage. And um, with the both of them, I think, having been way more accomplished now and way more popular now than they were back then. So a continuation of the, of the BCC versus you know Jericho Appreciation Society feud with the two kind of young prospects of the group is a perfect thing to put on this show that feels like it's connected enough to AEW while at the same time, you know, giving like a, a bit of an ROH particular spotlight for Wheeler Yuta in this pure rules um, rule set. So I'm looking forward to that a whole lot. And running back FTR versus the Briscoes, another match that took place this year that many people I'm sure are looking at as a front runner for their match of the year. I think that should headline the show, to be honest. I think that's much bigger match than Joe and Lethal. I would, I, I think that should headline the show. Well, what, what about, it would probably be bigger than anything involving Gresham, unless we're talking about Brian Danielson versus Jonathan Gresham. I mean, and that to me will be the most interesting one. Who do you put against Jonathan Gresham? 
if it's Danielson going for the ROH championship, I think that trumps everything. If it's what about what about Cesaro? Do you can? can I mean, that- that's where I was leaning after it was brought up that you know you've never been a world champion. Like that was brought up in the Hager promo, and I could mm. certainly like I just I, injury aside, like even if Danielson was healthy, um, I, I don't know if eh, maybe maybe they would feel like putting him on top of this ROH show to ensure um, that this pay per view does very well. Certainly, Danielson would be that 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 person you would you would uh, task with it but um i i would say claudio at, at the very least feels like he is someone to be put in that role um in the mm. uh, that, that's what i took from the promo earlier in the night with jake Hager. yeah agreed yeah but you know as far as like a card that is certainly catering towards the hardcores and the people who watch the first um uh super card of honor like i i think it's it's a show that's looking pretty good so far. And it's going to have a lot more AEW television promotion behind yeah. it than Supercard did. And Supercard, by ROH standards, did very well. Um, this mm-hmm. this is one where I think people are going to be looking at a much higher uh, ceiling of what this can do. Because it's it, like this was a lot of promotion they got on tonight's television. And I think that will be reflected in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm very curious to know like what, what projections are, what, what your prediction might be, John, you know, in, in the weeks leading up to this, whether or not – like what what's the ballpark would you say would be a success for something like this i i not knowing gresham's opponent that's that's a big uh indicator i think that mm-hmm. that does matter but uh, uh, these three matches okay if, if we were going off of this um you know i i'm looking at you know 45 to 60 i would say like like that's that a seriously be- huge cry from you know the standard of an AEW pay-per-view so yeah, it's a continued question of like with well, the these, same these three matches. Like I like we're, we're talking about like Supercard of Honor doing you know probably in the, in the neighborhood of well we we don't we don't know the number but you know way, way less than like sixty thousand buys. Mm-hmm. And, and so you know the the, the continued question is if you st- strictly change the letters from ROH to AEW and put on the same card, how much more would you be doing? But the argument is that I mean this is Tony Khan trying to build up another property. You know, sacrificing potentially a few more buys for one show in order to try to get another brand off the ground so that he can eventually make uh, comparable money to what he's getting with AEW. Um, it's it's an interesting experiment that we'll see uh, how it plays out. Yeah, the, the ROH experiment, we are not going to be able to properly judge for months. And it's mm. going to be based on, you know, a theoretical television deal. And and, and this pay-per-view will be very interesting. Like if, if this one blows away... Um, expectations that that tells you something about um the value of what this brand means or more importantly what the value of promotion on aew television means mm-hmm. uh, f- for, for this show but i certainly believe like you put those aew letters um like you're, you're guaranteed doing six figures and, and yeah. above on, on pay-per-view this it, it's more of a risk but um we also have to look at how the card shapes up and and what these next couple of weeks in, entails in terms of the build and the main event, John Moxley, Brody King for the interim championship. William Regal is on commentary, and King runs at Moxley, missing and going into the steps. Moxley goes after the knee, after a single leg, and after the break, King is destroying him and hits him with this chop, and Moxley just flops against the bottom rope, and his feet are just dangling on the rope as the camera on the floor just shoots him, like between his legs, looking dead. King... uh, 
After Moxley comes back, eats elbows, but then King misses a cannonball in the corner. Moxley is fighting for the bulldog choke and gets uh, starts landing stomps. King hits a pile driver, and Moxley then gets to the back, applies the rear naked choke. Or sorry, it's King that applies the rear naked choke and sits on the turnbuckle and does the the same spot he used to eliminate Darby, where he's lifting up Moxley and then just drops him. This time he hits the cannonball, only gets a two count. Taz throughout this whole match is warning us that. They will stay with this if it goes past the hour and keeps telling you this. One of these days, they're going to do that, and you're going to have just outrage from the, this audience that it's going to be cut off or, or something, that they're not expecting it to go past the top of the hour. Did they have an overrun today? I don't think. No, I think they were done right at 10. Oh, okay. Because like when I'm watching on TSN, it's, it's somewhat delayed, so I can never really tell. So. Hmm. Moxley then hits a DDT, elbows, King roars, and then Moxley gets the rear naked choke. King falls backwards to break it, but the choke is reapplied and Moxley turns it into the bulldog choke and Brody King passes out at 13-17. Really strong match. You know, this was a, a a big match for Brody King, of course, and I thought he absolutely like delivered on the level of somebody that you would expect to be at the very highest, you know, level when it comes to um I, I suppose notoriety in the independent scene and um I thought delivered a really strong match here with John Moxley. It was very physical and uh, very entertaining. Um, I just wish, you know, they, they, they maybe built up Brody King a little bit more prior to the match. Yeah. I, I, I think that affected the, the main event. Like it, it was a nice match, but I never sensed that this audience was, uh, you know, on, on the verge of seeing a title change or believing in this guy as a challenger. Like it was a nice match. And I think that like that is going to be expected when you, um, for, for an AEW main event. Um, overall on the show, I, I, I did not sense like that one big blow away match on, on the show. Um, not, nothing that was terrible other than the petition angle. Um, but yeah, th- th- this felt like a, a much more subdued episode of, of dynamite that sort of just uh, came and went. I honestly believe like the most impactful thing on the show was what they did with Wardlow. Like I thought that was very strong stuff off the top. And, uh, you could argue if the crowd was ever as, uh, loud as they were for the ending of that i think you could argue that the christian promo like elicited a lot of um reaction mm-hmm. you know um and and maybe people talking afterwards um but you know whether or not that's a positive or negative reaction from your viewing experience again depends on the viewer but yeah biggest news coming out of the show was certainly probably wardlow winning his first championship um I mean, I thought it was as dynamites usually are. I thought I think it was an entertaining show, you know, um, but at this point, because the quality is so high, we're just kind of talking about whether or not it's like up to um, one of the best dynamites of the year sort of standard that I think we're we're starting to get used to. Um, Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, like I, I, I thought it was like an easy show to to get through. Certainly, I, I didn't think any of it dragged, but it's, it's also like they have set the bar very high for, for their shows where you know, you can say people are, are spoiled, but it's become like the regular now of looking for like that four star match that you're going to get on dynamite every week. And when you set the standard, that's going to be the expectation too. And that, that is a negative long term of like, uh, of expecting that on a weekly basis. And perhaps we are feeling the effects of the lack of star power. Yes. That, that's that starting to appear on the show without a CM Punk, without a Brian Danielson, without, um, who else, who else has been missing MJF? Yeah. You know, not on. The I, show. I mean, he he was represented on the show, but like you didn't have Jericho there tonight. But I, I guess mm-hmm. he was kind of on the show. So yeah, I, I think that that's another part too. It's like you had all this hype for the pay per view, and then blood and guts, 
And now it's sort of what's next, where are all these programs going to be that you start building? Um, you are building for a smaller pay-per-view in a couple of weeks with, with Ring of Honor, and you're absent many of your, your key stars. You're building for a Ring of Honor pay-per-view without any of the acts, like top acts, actually having a presence on the show. You know, other than like backstage interviews, but we 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 don't see Joe, we we don't see Lethal in in, in a match, we don't see FTR in a match on this card, uh, on tonight's Dynamite at least. And Yuta and, and Garcia was also kept to a promo, so, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this ROH pay per view does. Yeah, it was also interesting that in Impact, like they just wrote off the Briscoes with this this big injury angle to mm-hmm. get them off of Against All Odds last Friday, and then here they're set up for like th- this pay per view match. So you kind of have the the you know they're they're beaten down and injured on one promotion, and here they are um, set up for a pay per view match in the other company. Is 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 it any is it the Forbidden Door anymore, or is it just more? Um... I don't know. Um, I mean, Fr- Frankie Kazarian was on that show last week. Uh, so, right. I mean, I mean we, we still get some, uh, some back hmm. and forth. All right. Let's go to the forum and see what you had to say. Maybe you had um, uh, many other observations of the show. We start off with Steve from Virginia Beach. When the gun club won their match, the entire crowd facing the hard camera went blank. No one cheered, booed, moved, or made any noise whatsoever. It was quite odd and fascinating. In my 36 years of being a wrestling fan, I can honestly say I've never seen that before. Also, does Kip Sabian really get paid to sit in the front row with a box on his head every week? Does he get paid? I'm not sure what sort of deal he's on. I mean, I would I would assume that he's traveling to the show every single week for some, you know, um, purpose financially. Maybe this um, is Tony Khan's big uh, sting in the rafters angle. He's got something big planned. Well, or do we even know that it's Kip Sabian every, every single week? You know, could they just not hire a PA in the back to, like, put the box on their head pretending to be Kip Sabian? You know, no, no, you got to fly this guy all over the country to do this. Yeah, I just, you know, at this point, like he's revealed it to everybody. Like we all know who it is. He, he, like I believe is like Twitter it, itself. Like his, it's no secret who it is. Um, so I don't know how big of a, you know, on TV it'll still be, but we kind of talked about this on Friday. I don't know how many people are gonna care once it's like revealed to be Kip Sabian, you know, underneath the box. Um. I, I mean, it depends on, I don't know what sort of a, cause they're not calling attention to it. And then anyway, no, it's, so. it's not focused that you could be watching this every week and maybe you notice it and odds are you, it's just there. It's yeah. like maybe, oh yeah, the box, yeah. you wouldn't even know it huh. from, from just a fan that travels to all these shows. It's interesting. Know. It's, it's more than yeah. I, I could say for Kip Sabian's last gimmick. So, okay. Okay, we got a Johnny Sanchez who says, uh, um, might be in the, in, the, in the minority, but I found this episode to be a bit lackluster. I was really looking forward to the Mox versus Brody match, but it just didn't do anything for me. I'm glad Wardlow won the TNT title. No rematch. Please just have Wardlow do weekly challenges. I'm glad they're building up the ROH pay-per-view. Honestly, I don't have much to talk about from this Dynamite. Question, with all the changes with the Warner Brothers and Discovery merger, do you think there might have been a change in hiring the Briscoes could be a thing? Yeah, that was also, of course, the other really interesting uh, aspect of it all. You know, of course, the Briscoes were already announced for Supercard of Honor uh, prior to Tony Khan taking over. But this is the first Tony Khan-led show where he is hiring the Briscoes. Does this indicate anything to you about their future with the the promotion or AEW? I mean, it's obviously something that they, they're moving forward with or else they, they wouldn't be booked for this show. I guess the next question would be the if, if they show up on... 
uh, on TBS or or TNT, that would certainly signal um, that it's it's no longer an issue and that they would be an asset for AEW as as well beyond this pay per view. Yeah, they they could be a team that I mean I could certainly see much like Gresham, you know, being kept on the ROH brand just because of their legacy attached to to, to the product. Um, it, it, it's a continued test of to see I think where the public is at when it comes to the Briscoes. Um, they received a hell of a reaction, you know, um, at Supercard of Honor throughout WrestleMania weekend as well. So, at least like mm, from the live reactions that we can tell. It seems like this is an audience that is very much ready to have the Briscoes back. Um, the, you know, there are still going to be detractors, and I think for very valid reasons. So, again, they're, 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 this is probably one of their bigger, you know, on-screen presences that's about to come up, and it'll be another chance to really kind of gauge where the public's at. Yeah, I, I don't think the audience is going to be very negative to to them at all. Um, mm. I mean, no, no wrestling crowds are, and I, I think that it's more so just a decision from above if they have the go ahead and it'll be noteworthy whether they show up on a W programming to build this pay-per-view up and also noteworthy if they don't, I guess you can just take that for mm. what it is. Uh, let me interrupt uh, the forum feedback. Cause I forgot we have a few super chats here to get to apologies guys. Uh, we first go to Hansi who sends $7. Thank you for the support as always Hansi. He says, I hope as well. TNT open challenges. Wardlow also has blood feuds, which this title needs. Hope everything with John works out. Keep your head up. It says, ooh, keep my keep head. Keep your head, ooh. Ooh, I will. Um, <laughs> yeah. Blood feud with, with Wardlow. Well, you need the opponent first. So um, Yeah, yeah. I think I think you, like, because the formula works so well with Wardlow, like, he's essentially Goldberg, a modern-day Goldberg. I think you just continue to rack up those numbers, continue to get him really hot. Eventually, he runs into an obstacle that, that's a bit tougher to, to get by than most. And uh, it's got to be the right opponent because, like, you know, that, that same magic that he found with MJF isn't going to be easy to find. So who is that guy? Who is it? We get a Kevin Anderson who sends $2. Thank you for the support, Kevin. He says, great interview with the Shockmaster yesterday. Thank you, Kevin. Shockmaster referring to, of course, Tom Lawler. Yes. Uh, who made a famous entrance. One of our my all-time favorite memories from covering a UFC. Okay. Uh, let's continue here, John. Bruce writes, another fun dynamite aided by a very hot crowd. No must-see matches, but certainly nothing bad. It's a minor point, but Shafir looked a lot more fluid and comfortable in a tag context. Yeah, I, I felt like the tag overall, um, apologies aside, I, I think like it was, um, it worked better than the one-on-one -on -one match Thunder Rose and Shafir had a few weeks back. Yeah, I'm 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 in the minority that actually enjoyed that one-on-one -on -one match as well. You know, there's just something about I think like Shafir's in-ring style that stands her apart from everybody else and looks very much much more legitimate than uh, many others, and maybe too legitimate in that instance. He says that Death Before Dishonor is starting to shape up quite nicely and looks like it should be able to deliver some classic ROH flavor, even with a number of names on the card not traditionally associated with the brand. Um, I that that would not be dictating how this card is booked for me of like just making sure it's people that were still on um the ROH brand. I think I think you want to use your your bloated roster to up that um that star power. Like having a Daniel Garcia and a Wheeler Yuta, that's a plus for for the show. Certainly, absolutely. I I, I think it it is important to keep some of you know what what made ROH like identifiable and. That's not to say you keep everybody, but you keep the people that I think the audience remembers well from uh, uh, from the brand, including Jonathan Gresham, including the Briscoes, 
and including Samoa Joe. You know, we're talking about not just modern day ROH, but people that I think have a legacy attached to the brand. And that could include Brian Danielson as well. Yeah, um, that that's kind of Bruce's question here in terms of j- just the build and using past past talents and doing it on AEW television. I would want to structure this this pay-per-view that has the most like a mass appeal to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's great if you have some of those talents that have the ties to ROH's history. So it makes uh, sense to have them on the card. But I would not be making that a hard and fast rule that, um, you know, it's it's an audience that wants great wrestling for three hours that is, you're hoping will spend another X amount of dollars after they've just spent money on double or nothing and forbidden door. And now you're asking them for a third month in a row to spend money on. So you have to give them um, an incredible wrestling card and hopefully some some fresh matches and and get away with promoting it as much as you can on your own television, which it seems there are no um, there are no hangups on and no restrictions. Do you sense like for this particular type of audience, the AEW masses, that there is that same sort of like um, maybe concern about paying every single month? Because I would argue that like this is the type of audience that is willing to pay once a month for a quality show. Uh, again, not a, not necessarily a WWE card every single month, but like this is the same type of audience that like is willing to like, you know, maybe buy an independent wrestling show, a GCW show, you know, um, if the card is interesting to them, I I feel like they're, you know, like they, I don't, I, I just wonder if there'd, there'd be that same exhaustion for like once a month being too much. Uh, I think that it's, um, for, for many fans, um, that buying a pay-per-view every month, it's, it's something I, I would look at the people that are buying even one GCW every month. It's a very small number. You're, you're trying yeah. to attract this to a much larger audience. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, like if you are someone that, um, say you buy, AEW's pay-per-views four times a year. You've got a couple streaming services. Like that's kind of that satisfies you. The network, they're not asking you to buy a WWE show every four weeks. It's kind of one set fee. It is a monthly, um, you know, it's, it's whatever your, your cost is for a streaming service. But, you know, this is not going to be a cheap pay-per-view either. Like it's, it's probably going to, you know, be 40, 50 bucks, something like that. I, mm-hmm. I don't like if it's a great card, I, I don't see the price being uh, an issue, but you are at, at the same time, uh, coming off like this is almost becoming monthly now for for AEW pay per views or adjacent mm-hmm. pay per views. Um, uh, I'm I'm next. We go to Brian from New Jersey who says, "Pretty fun show tonight." As I usually feel about AEW at minimum, but it felt like a definite come down for Forbidden Door and Blood Guts. The biggest highlight was the opener with Wardlow winning the TNT title. I could have done without the heavy jokes towards Jeff Hardy, but at least it sounded like the crowd reacted appropriately with heat towards Christian. I thought the main event was solid, but after the opener, it seemed the stuff worth being really excited for was what was being announced or teased for next week's show and Death Before Dishonor. All right. And the last one is from Brian, who attended the show in Rochester. He said the show was a lot of fun. The entire Wardlow segment was the highlight of the night, and he came off as a star. Hopefully, he has a dominant reign as TNT champion and can help get that title back on track. The rest of the show was fine with a nice main event, the acclaimed face turn, and another fantastic Christian promo. Overall, it felt like an average episode of Dynamite, which I kind of expected after Forbidden Door and Blood and Guts. And he says that Kingston and Takeshita was easily the best match of the night. Definitely worth checking out this Friday. So there you have it. I am very excited for that. And that is the type of buzz that I think Rampage really benefits from, you know, because of its taped format and people who have seen the show saying you shouldn't want you don't want to miss this one because this thing was a banger. Um, I'm really looking forward to it for, of course, all the all the Kings Road influence that I'm sure we'll get in the match itself. Yeah, that's um, I, I'm sure that that's going to be terrific. Speaking of the Kings Road, 
just announced on our schedule uh, the, the latest edition of the Long Wind and Roll Road taking place this Saturday. So uh, Eric Marcotte will be the guest with WH Park this week, and uh, they will be talking about a match that I will announce very shortly. If you give me one second here. Um, it will not be Eddie Kingston versus uh, Kanosuke Takeshida, even though both of those men own the Long and Winding World Road t-shirt. Uh, but they will instead be talking about Mitsuharu Masawa versus Toshiaki Kawada from October the 21st, 1992. So uh, Eric Marcotte, you know, besides being a very uh, uh, hard, you know, one of the most knowledgeable and most well-watched uh, MMA critics on the, on the website, uh, also quite the uh, professional wrestling um, student himself. He knows a whole lot about everything. So I'm curious to to get his thoughts on the show on, on the match. I mean, uh, you can find it on YouTube. So look for the match, October 21st, 1992, Mitsuharu Masawa versus Toshiaki Kawada. All right. The same week that gave us your Toronto Blue Jays beating the Atlanta Braves in six games. Goodness. Wow. What a week. Great week. Great week for, for life. All right, so that's going to be dropping on Saturday, and then uh, tomorrow, uh, way it's it's waiting doubleheader day as you will be live at one Eastern with Kate from Montreal on the Post Daily News Show, and then MCU later Thursday evening going through episode five of Miss Marvel. So you can check out all of that. Uh, I will tentatively be back Friday uh, for the new show and rewind to SmackDown. So all patrons at postwrestlingcafe.com will get rewind to SmackDown and MCU later over the next 48 hours. So you can look forward to all of that great stuff. And don't forget the G1 contest is now open at postwrestling.com slash G1. It is free to enter, make your picks and watch along the G1 with us on our Post Wrestling Cafe coverage. Yes. After you sign a petition, go join the G1 contest. Uh, the deadline is Friday, July the 15th. Make all of your picks, and then you can have bragging rights at the end if you ascend to the top of the leaderboard. Uh, so all of that and more can be found at postwrestling.com and postwrestlingcafe.com. And that will wrap up Rewind to Dynamite.